We are bringing back the Lombardi Trophy to Philadelphia. The greatest fans of the world have their Super Bowl. Welcome back to the British Eagles podcast in association with Passionque Avenue. With a slightly new format to kick off the 2019 season, the pods that review and preview games will be called the British Eagles Time of Possession podcast. And the length of time um, that the Eagles have the ball dictates how long me and my guest can talk about the Eagles for. So this podcast is going to last 30 minutes, 34 seconds, apparently. For our first Time of Possession podcast, we had to get someone on back on the pod who um, has updates to share with regards to his professional situation as well as someone who is flying the flag for Philadelphia Eagles journalism here in the UK Liam Jenkins from Philadelphia Sports Network thanks for joining us for week one I'm honoured I'm just thinking this format is brilliant but if the Eagles end up with three minutes time in possession one game there's going to be just a speed run through to be fair if they've got three minutes time of possession either Deshaun Jackson has just had seven bombs throughout the uh, game and that's the Eagles football or or it was three minutes and we don't want to talk about it because uh we uh, had Kyle Oelu step up from the practice squad to uh, take the reps. Yeah, no, that's, a, that's a good point. But overall, I mean, yeah, it was, I think this is a, an awesome concept. And it's cool to be back on. Like, I remember coming on sometime last year. And then just before the London game, obviously, the Eagles got in contact with you guys. And it was just really cool to see a real spike in sort of British Eagles fans all wanting to be a part of this and see your account and podcast get the attention it deserved. Well, you know, let's not focus on us. Let's focus on you. You know, you had your own sort of spotlight from the Philadelphia Eagles with, with an article on their website. And, you know, things have gone from strength to strength for you guys. So just take us through um, sort of what's been going on for you and going full time and what that means for, for you and the brand. It's been wild. I'm just like looking back now. So about this time a year ago, like obviously October, the Eagles put the article out on sort of my journey in Philly Sports Network. And um, I didn't get credentials to that game. And that I, it wasn't like expect I kind of assumed that would happen because the NFL run that game and not the Eagles so it was always going to be a bit more difficult because of national media but as someone that as sure as you know like you put all these images in your head of when the Eagles do come to England and what you're going to do and the content you're going to produce and how it's going to look and feel and knowing that that suddenly wasn't possible really kind of cut me a bit but then to look back on that now and know that from April 19th, I remember the day, I'm going to get this tattooed, I think, but I was able to to come away from my other part-time job and commit to Philly Sports Network full-time. So it's now my, my full-time career, which is still like the wildest thing to say out loud. And you'll, you'll get brief moments where I'm like breaking down film or I'm reading through comments on a live stream or something. And I'm like, this is my job. Like, I, this is what I do 24-7. And it's really cool. Um, there are other times where I don't know honestly how I survived on like two or three other jobs for so long because I just thought, oh, working a nine till six, coming home, grinding till 3 a.m. and then getting up and doing it again was sort of natural. And now I'm finding myself doing that the same, but without the other job and it's all Philly Sports Network. So massive, massive workload. Like it's really cool. But like seeing the YouTube channel growing the way it has and really dedicating a lot of time and, and effort to that. And more than anything, just growing the team and trying to manage the people that we've got and help develop their craft as writers. And I think as a brand, it's just taken massive steps forward. Like the, I think the quality of content we're putting out is above and beyond what we ever have before. And we're really starting to find like a returning audience and there are faces and names that are in every live stream and every video and every article. And it's really, really humbling to know that we actually are finally after five years having that kind of impact on, on the city that we're so passionate about. And that passion certainly comes through with the content that you're producing. And how can people find you on social? 
Uh, so I'm on Liam Jenkins PSN on Twitter because my old one got banned. So I'm going to not cry about that in this podcast. Um, if you want to follow Philly Sports Network, it's at Philadelphia SN. And then I think just Philly Sports Network pretty much anywhere else and, and you'll be sound. Excellent. And we've got a, a Philly Sports Network competition coming up. You've got some uh, merchandise, haven't you, that are, is all branded. So as long as we've got time at the end, um, within our 30-minute 30 34 window, we'll be able to talk about that on the pod. But let's get jump straight into it with the Eagles game. So it was a bit, it's a bit of a cliche. It was a tale of two halves. Um, the first half was very reminiscent of a, a preseason game. Second half reminiscent of a, a week eight game where the players were in full flow. First of all, how stoked are you that the Eagles are back? Oh, incredibly. It felt like Christmas waking up on Sunday. There was no feeling like it. And I think for me, it was a little bit different because it was that first real marquee occasion of this is my first full game as, as like a full-time beat writer video man person boss thing. Um, so, so going into it with that mindset, it was just awesome. Like the, the vibe was cool. Seeing everyone on social media get excited. And I'm sure you'll know, like you'll build relationships with people in Philadelphia and seeing them at the games and them getting excited. And even though we're so far away, you feel so acclimated with that city and so part of that like, every breath, if that makes sense. And, just, you know, seeing that reaction to Deshaun Jackson when he ran out onto the field was a spine-chilling moment for sure. I can't imagine how special it would have been to have been at Lincoln Financial Field when that happened. But knowing that there's no Sunday now from now, hopefully until February without Eagles football, was uh, a very special feeling for this year for sure. So you've had time for it to, to settle in. You've been grinding through the night producing content. Overall, what are your thoughts of the game? Uh... It's probably the best way to describe it, if I'm honest. I think the the second half was excellent, and whether it was just a case of rust shaking off for numerous people, I think we can we don't even need to look at the players to begin with. The fact that there were some bizarre calls offensively and defensively, um, for instance, that you know the Terry McLaurin touchdown where he just breezed past Russell Douglas like a hot knife through butter. That call, Douglas was clearly playing zone coverage. He wasn't even angled towards the player. He took away the boundaries he was supposed to. And then there's only so much you can do when there's literally no safety help over the top. So there were calls like that I really didn't understand. We had the bizarre pitch to Darren Sproles. The running backs early on just didn't make any sense. Then the second half comes around. Carson Wentz stops being Sam Bradford and becomes Carson Wentz. Doug Peterson finds his mojo, gets very aggressive with the play calls. And the Eagles just come alive. And I think the second that first touchdown was scored at the end of the first half... There wasn't a doubt in my mind the team would win the game. It was just a case of would they go out and cover the spread, which they didn't, so I was upset about that. Um, Or would they go out and just just about kind of edge over the line due to it being a divisional clash. But um, the one takeaway that I've got is just the veteran leadership. There was a lot of people before the game, especially just after training camp, criticising the team for being too old, there's too many veterans, or there's not enough young players. But without guys like Deshaun Jackson, Fletcher Cox, Zach Ertz, Lane Johnson, who were notably and vocably in that locker room trying to lift guys up, keep them motivated, keep them in the game, I'm not sure the Eagles come back and do it. I mean, you look at last year against the Saints when Carson Wentz in that blowout loss was just almost saying like, F it and chuck it. And he was just throwing balls down the field, like hoping for the best. They were being picked off. The frustration got to him. You didn't see that on Sunday. You saw a Carson Wentz, like you said, that was if it was week eight, even in 2017. Like this performance to me in that second half felt like the game against the Chargers in 2017. No, and it's interesting when you bring up Wentz and how he was sort of going through his progressions and things like that. And he was, you know, we heard it a lot with Nick Foles. You know, he takes what the defense gives you. And it's almost like Wentz has learned that little bit of the game from 
Nick Foles during their time together in Philly. Obviously, Nick Foles has gone on and, you know, Wentz used to be that sort of throw it around and, you know, wouldn't take the check down. But he was taking the check downs and he was just taking what the defense gave him. It was, it was like a different quarterback. Yeah, and I think there's definitely a few different attributes for that as well. One you definitely picked on with that that Nick Foles mentorship. And the other thing, um, and I discussed this on a live stream last night, and whether we like it or hate it, I mean, I think everyone in Philadelphia who or is a Philadelphia fan can agree that that article that ripped Carson Wentz to shreds during the offseason was abysmal. It shouldn't have been written or, or what have you. It felt like a very smeary article. But it did cause a lot of reflection, as it would for anyone, hearing that about mm. yourself. And hearing how Doug Peterson broached it, hearing how Carson Wentz broached it, and how he can be a better leader, how he can be a better teammate. There must have been times where he's looked at his own play, gone back over the tape and gone, Do you know what, I should have taken that check down. I shouldn't have been that aggressive there. I should have got this guy involved in the offense more. And I wonder if that played even a minor role in the Carson Wentz we saw last week or last night, who just seems so calm and at ease with everything that happened. There's a lot of focus on uh, Deshaun Jackson for all the right reasons, but can we just take a moment to appreciate the offensive line for a second? Oh, for sure. And Brandon Brooks, especially. The guy tore his Achilles in, in January against the Saints. is over £300, didn't do uh, partake in OTAs, didn't partake in training camp, uh, at least in like 11 on 11 drills. And this is a guy, I'm not going to play too much on this, but I thought, you know, suffer with anxiety. I'm not sure if I'm sure some of the listeners will. Um, and to know that you've got all this hype, then suddenly you're coming off an Achilles. You've not taken any other action against any other teammates. You're going into a live game situation against a divisional rival, week one, all the pressure in the world, and he kills it. And it's like, that was such a big moment for Brandon Brooks. And I mean, I would have been quaking in my boots. I would have been all over the place. To know that the composure that he now has to not only overplay that injury, but every other obstacle that he's endured mentally, like just what a moment for him. And although he was on a pitch count, I think he played very, very well, all things considered. He, he was on a pitch count, but when he came off, he was saying he was pissed off because he felt like he could have continued to go. Um, and also what's interesting is that Usually when a player has a, an Achilles heel, there's a report out that they then wear special cleats. Um, they're a little mm. bit higher to, to support the Achilles. And he was in his normal cleats. You know, that's how far he's come back from the injury in that short space of time. He's superhuman. Unbelievable. And you think back to OTAs when he was posting videos on social media of him going through workouts and saying how he's getting better and keeping fans updated. And I think a lot of it was like, you know, as any player does on social media to hype themselves up to build that confidence. And we probably downplayed it a lot. But the progress he was making was, like you said, superhuman. There's no other way to describe it. And he deserves every bit of praise he'll get. And you know what? Honestly, if he goes the whole season and puts up another record, bearing in mind how long he went without allowing a sack during the time he was healthy, there is no reason why he can't be uh, at least rewarded financially again with maybe an, a bump in money or guaranteed money or something. But he'll be among the elite offensive linemen this year. One more point on the offense before we uh, take a quick look at the defense. And something that I think is getting overlooked a little bit, I've not seen too much about it, is Miles Sanders. And mm. I'm not talking about his touchdown run that was called back or any of his other runs. I'm talking about his pass blocking and picking up the blitzers. There was twice he came across the formation to pick up the blitz coming in. And, you know, you know the Eagles need that from their running backs. And that was the big thing about Miles Sanders or any rookie running back is, how are they at pass protection? Because if they can't pass protect, they're not going to be in the game much. Juice Staley said to Doug Peterson in the week saying, you know, he, he's got it. He can pick it up. Don't worry about him. And Juice Staley was right. Yeah, and I think that it probably helped that it was a slight weakness coming out of college. And the two things that I think really plagued Miles Sanders were one, 
um, in terms of drops on screens. He wasn't the most versatile about. The second thing was pass protection. And I don't think it was any fault of his own. He just wasn't asked to do it a tremendous amount. And especially when Penn State were blowing out rivals and stuff, it was going to look a little bit easier. But then I think having that natural setback, like you don't coach what's already brilliant in Miles Sanders. You don't need to work on his agility or his elusiveness. And they probably spent a lot of extra time on that pass protection and on blitz pickups and how to adjust. And when you've got someone like Darren Sproles in that backfield who is so good at it despite his size... That probably played a role as well. And I think if he came out and it wasn't a concern, it wasn't a strength, it was just sort of there, we may not have seen that natural focus. But I think you can see night and day, even dating back to preseason, that Miles Sanders has come on leaps and bounds since his time as Penn, uh, Penn State as a pass protector. And again, just a massive hats off to Juice Staley, who has been like, one of the most instrumental coaches in that locker room for, for quite some time now. Yeah, it's probably not going to be long before uh, Juice Staley takes up a head coach position elsewhere in the league. And if we flip our attention to the, the defensive side of the ball, not much pressure on Case Keenum in the first half, but they seem to uh, change things up in the second half. Yeah, and a lot of it, I think, is, is schematic at this point. And it's the fact that Jim Schwartz is a very good defensive coordinator. I don't think that needs debating. Like You can look at every metric you want, but like all any good head coach or coordinator worth his salt that you you cling very tightly to what you believe in whether that's good whether it's bad for better or worse it's like a marriage right like you're in it for the long haul and you make a decision and you stick by it and we're still going to see six defense we're still going to see corners lined up eight yards off the ball when it's third and four that's just the nature of what this Eagles defense is I think the other thing to bear in mind was that many of those starters hadn't had a full training camp. Someone like Ronald Darby, who pretty much played a full game. Someone like Fletcher Cox, who was, again, absent through training camp, absent through preseason. Um, you've had, obviously, Nigel Badham's bizarre bus incident last week. That was the latest episode in what's becoming a Nigel Badham sitcom during his time in Philadelphia. Um, there, there were plenty of guys out there who, for whatever reason, were, were coming off season-ending injuries and were limited in terms of preseason action. It probably just was a case of shaking that rust off, getting settled down. There are several new faces. Sendejo was one of them. Obviously, new starting cornerbacks. You've got Zach Brown in the middle of the field now as well. So it probably just took a little bit of time to gel together, whereas the offense was much more of a continuity piece. All that changed really was a running back where it's you know, a very different sort of responsibility. Deshaun Jackson, where the Eagles really needed that speed, on defence, it was almost like a minor overhaul where you've got Malik Jackson now, you've got Zach Brown and a few new faces as well. So for me, I think it just took some time to settle down. And like you said, in that second half, when things really got roaring, I think the Eagles really built on that momentum. And guys like Timmy Jernigan, Brandon Graham and Derek Barnett specifically both had very, very good games. Turning our attention to the, the cornerbacks, there's a lot of focus on that group throughout um, the offseason into preseason. I'm firmly on the Sidney Jones um, bandwagon or the, the hive, whatever you want to call it. Um, he didn't play as much as I thought he would yesterday. Um, how did the cornerback shake out for you? It surprised me, if I'm honest. The, the one thing that didn't surprise me was Ronald Darby because um, I've been quite opinionated on Darby since the moment he signed the, the new deal in Philadelphia. And I got shot down in flames for it. But my main criticism with Darby has been tackling is always sporadic. It's sort of like... Um, I'm not sure about you, but me, myself, I'm very skinny, very lanky. And whenever I'm asked to tackle in rugby at school or college, 
I would fly around and like kind of put my arm out and keep my body well out of the action. That's what Ronald Darby felt like tackling to me. And that's been the case for a while when he's asked to come downhill. We saw it on that first touchdown allowed. In coverage, he's great, but he turned a few what should have been interceptions into passes defence. Hopefully that will come in time. Um, as for Azul Douglas, I think I need to take a much closer look at the tape because I think that that first touchdown again wasn't his fault. There looked to be a breakdown of communication with the safety, but that's just, you know, hypothetical at this point. Um, but you're right, I was a bit shocked that Sidney Jones didn't play more. It was almost alluded to earlier in the week that he would be the starting CB2 with Maddox inside. And what we saw was Rasul Douglas really take that responsibility. So I don't know. It seems to me there's going to be a bit of a cornerback rotation or a cornerback by committee, if you will. We'll see how that pans out through the season. But if anything, it's probably a sign that if and when Jalen Mills returns off PEP, if things stay the same, he's going to be tossed into the action whether fans like it or not. To be fair, you, you mentioned Ronald Darby and, and the tackling. In, if you look at his scouting report, it does say that um, you know they compare it to Liam Jenkins playing rugby at college. <laughs> that's, before, that's it. That's it. Before we move on to um, look ahead at the Falcons game, any final thoughts on on the Week One win? Uh, I think the running back situation is a very interesting one to watch. I think if we'd have gone into week one and we'd have had this podcast before the game and you'd said predict the, the Eagles running back carries, you wouldn't have put Darren Sproles at the top of the list. Miles Sanders wouldn't have been second, probably. Um, it was very, but what really annoyed me, if looking back, is that the Eagles tried to establish the run very early, early on and couldn't with Darren Sproles. It was just screens and swings and that odd third and three pitch that went backwards like that's going to haunt my dreams for a long time but you've got Jordan Howard who in the second half averaged 7.3 yards per carry wasn't used in the first half he had a great first half run then was just presumably pulled for like the next 17 minutes absolutely bizarre I don't know what the thinking was there maybe I'm missing something but it felt like if you wanted to try and sustain a drive in short yarded situations that you'd go with Jordan Howard that in a china shop type back not someone that is going to be predominantly outside the tackles but that's just me I think this is a running back by committee that echoes very much what we saw in 2016 where you had you know one week Ryan Matthews would be the lead back the next minute he's strictly on the goal line it's that sort of unpredictability and I think fans may have to brace for that that we may not see Miles Sanders getting 10 to 12 carries a game for quite some time just yet so the Eagles pick up the victory in week one. Now let's look ahead to um, the Atlanta game, who suffered a week one loss at the Vikings, but it's not a, a disaster loss for them. Minnesota are a good team. I expect them to compete in the NFC North. I actually expect them to win it. That's what I put my money on. Um, how do you see the week two Sunday night football uh, prime time against the Falcons playing out? It's tricky because I've not gone back and watched that Vikings game yet. That's sort of on my agenda for tomorrow. But from what I saw, I mean, that Vikings offense does look really, really good. Um, and I know the Atlanta defense is hardly a great goalpost to kind of compare it to, but it's definitely something worth noting. The thing that I'm most apprehensive about is going to be the cornerbacks, because there were times where Case Keenum, like that was that monster third down throw where he overthrew McLaurin, which should have been almost a mirror play second touchdown for McLaurin that game. And Keenum overthrew it and he had his head in his hands. Matt Ryan will not miss that throw. And Julio Jones will make that catch. And Mohamed Sanu will catch up to that ball. Um, you've got Calvin Ridley, who is a very, very crisp route runner. And I expect big things from That is a very strong receiving corps. And if the Eagles cornerbacks are going to be cushioned off the ball, if they're going to have to play downhill, 
it could be problematic if the safety help isn't there. So I need to see some schematic adjustments there. Offensively, I think they've got to start fast. And that was a point all week leading up to week one. That in the first quarter, they averaged 3.2 points per game in 2018. They flatlined it in week one against the Redskins. And not every team is then going to buckle and allow you to score four touchdowns on four consecutive drives. As explosive as that Eagles offense was, they dug themselves out of a hole they put themselves into. And they can't continue to be their own worst enemy because a more established team who is contending for something this year just isn't going to let them get back out of that hole. What do you see the keys to victory are? I think it's, it's honestly just goes back to, to the cornerbacks, but mainly the in terms of offense, the running back play, they've got to work out an actual game. It felt a little bit too just whimsical, sort of placing a finger on a play. Saying, oh, that'll do. We'll go with that. Um, obviously, there's probably a lot more strategy to it to that. But again, the amount of action Darren Sproul saw, I don't know. Something didn't fit right with me, especially when Jordan Howard is sat there and was I didn't see him make um, even close to an average play. You know, there were games where he pushed the entire pile four yards forward. And I just think he needs to get more of the ball. So getting Jordan Howard involved, keeping him a central point of that offense and taking the burden off of Carson Wentz's shoulders, who still threw for over 30, I think it was 39 times that game, which is a lot. Like we were thinking that this backfield was going to take the pressure off Wentz. He's still throwing that much. And I think that that does have to come down a little bit against a Falcons team that does have a strong backfield, does have a potent offense. It's their defense where you can pick it apart. So I think this game's going to be, can the Eagles win a shootout? And whether they can or not, it's going to depend on can they reduce that weight off Carson Wentz's shoulders with the running backs and can the secondary step up and just not get obliterated by a very established group of receivers. My next question for you, any listeners who are thinking of taking Liam's um, prediction and putting some money on it, please don't. Um, (laughs) Liam's bets have not gone well uh, in, in week one. So talk to me about your prediction for the Falcons game. Ooh, it's... It's a tricky one, is it? So now it's a Sunday night fixture as well. There's going to be that extra bit of momentum on it, I think. But it is in Atlanta. As of right now, I know because I'm, you know, I'm a gambling degenerate like some people. So I think the spread's minus one at the minute. I would be comfortable laying quite a sum on the Eagles minus one. I think the Eagles should be able to see off the Falcons. I think at this point, it's more of a mental thing, right? Like of all the last three times I've played them, the Eagles obviously stonked them in 2017. Then obviously last year, there was that kind of hangover. The Eagles blitzed them again. Like this year, they should, Atlanta need to get one back. And I think there's that mental, oh, are we ever going to get past Philly? Like, are they going to have this over us forever? And as long as the Eagles don't shoot themselves in the foot, which seems to be the case is, you know, in, in some of these losses, like even dating back to last year, Tennessee, Tampa Bay, games where they easily should have won and they just couldn't get out of their own way. In big games, they show up though. And Atlanta are a big team. Like you said, it's an NFC contender. It could be a playoff matchup down the line. I honestly would not be surprised to see a 14-15 point win. But if we're talking just betting perspective, I would be comfortable just laying the Eagles minus one. And if you had to put your uh, name against a score prediction? Oh, 28-23 Eagles. Interesting. Okay, so I've got them down as losing. Oh, no. Why? Oh, Oh, God. (laughs) Listen, it's a revenge game for Atlanta. We've had the, the playoff victory, the banner ceremony. It's in Atlanta. Atlanta can't go 0-2. It, it's going to be close, but I see a 27-21 victory for Atlanta. I hope I'm wrong, but that's what I see. 
And we're going to move swiftly on so this can disappear into the internet. <laughs> just, just brush over that, pretend it never happened. <laughs> um now before we move on to a couple of other bits um sort of in the last hour or so doug peterson said that malik jackson's got a significant injury he's going to miss some time and there's a a few rumors out there that it's an achilles injury the injury bug just seems to be back and it keeps biting this team yeah and it's really tough to look at because a lot of people are going to start pointing towards the training staff especially after last year um i think it's a bit too soon for that just yet like we need to wait a few weeks we don't know yet if Malik Jackson's going to need surgery or not um I think we're very lucky Avante Maddox didn't go down with a leg injury like he limped off the sideline and obviously was able to come back into the game but that could have easily been something a lot more scary so in terms of defensive tackle I wouldn't be too worried about it just yet purely because they've got Hassan Ridgeway there the one thing that could impact them is the fact they lost Trayvon Hester and they kept Bruce Hector that may swing round. Um, I was a little bit shocked they didn't keep Trayvon Hester on the 53 and they risked him on waivers and ultimately lost out. But whether or not he'll, you know, or that Bruce Hector can step up if they call him up will be interesting. But a lot of people forget that someone like a Brandon Graham can shift inside and and potentially play that five tech. They run NASCAR packages quite frequently, which is where you've got four defensive ends. That wouldn't surprise me. Maybe a bigger body like Josh Sweat can move inside and see what he can do from that position. I don't think it's a state of panic just yet until we figure out what the injury is, what the time frame is. Um, and just pray that it doesn't happen again. Because obviously it all seemed to happen at one time last year. And the last thing a team needs is cluster injuries at a position. They had it at cornerback specifically last year and the whole secondary fell to pieces. Um, so as long as they can avoid cluster injuries and they can keep guys conditioned, then it will be fine. If we see another year like last year, it would not surprise me to see yet another complete overhaul in that medical field because it just can't go on. Moving on from medical injuries to um, alcohol-induced injuries, the flying to Philly trip is in week five against the Jets. It's not too late to book on, so make sure you contact Touchdown Trips. Liam, you mentioned that you are hopefully going out to Philadelphia in order to go to a concert and not to work um, in November. What's on your list of things to do while you're out there? Try and work. That's that's, that's the thing. (laughs) It's really tricky. So I'll briefly explain before. Um, basically, if I go out on a visitor visa, which, you know, the Esther thing, which everyone in England has to apply for, you're not allowed to work in America other than like business meetings and emails. And if I get to customs and they're like, oh, you run Philly Sports Network and you're here for an Eagles game, whether I'm working or not, I might very well get turned away. And I don't want to jeopardize any future of me sort of living there one day. So um, if I get to Philadelphia, I want to get to hopefully like a Flyers game as media because I know we've got that credential sorted. I'd love to get to an Eagles tailgate and just meet as many people out there as possible because without that support and that level of actual respect that I've now somehow earned over the last five years, I wouldn't be in the position I am now. So just meeting people that have read my work or even if they've loved it or hated it um, and just yeah, ex- experiencing everything in Philly, like getting a cheese steak that's not from Geno's or Pat's so I don't get shouted at um and just soaking up as much of the culture as possible really because it's something that i think we almost feel we're pretty much living there in all way except physical just ticking that last little bit off the list would be pretty cool so where, where are your top places that you would go and get cheesesteaks based on the recommendations you've received 
See, I, don't, I would, honestly, I would like to try and go to Pat Sorgino's first just to see what life is about, <laughs> to see how bad it is, because everyone makes out like it's some really grotty, like, tourist place. They look down on it like peasants. Um, I'd be interested to go there first and then see where it sort of takes me, because you have so many recommendations from so many people, and I would hate to do anyone a disservice. So I think if I'm being a full tourist, I've got to live up to the tourist rep first and uh, and then see what happens after that. Excellent. And talk us through the, the other Philly sports then. So you um covering the Sixers and the Union as well? Yeah, so our Phillies, site covers, uh, yeah, so we cover the Union, Sixers, Flyers, Phillies, uh, Phantoms. We're trying to get esports covered as well, so we're looking into an avenue to open that market. Uh Bethlehem Steel for anyone that really likes soccer and wants to go a bit below the Union. Uh, and obviously, yeah, like minor league affiliates and stuff as well. So we've got a team of like 30 writers now that are actual paid. So we're paying writers. So that's really cool. Uh, yeah, just basically anything that's a, a major attraction in Philadelphia sports or college sport. We try and put our name to and just put our own spin on it. Excellent. What about fantasy football? Are you in any leagues? I am. I'm in a, a Philly sports network league with all our writers and I somehow won despite drafting Tony Pollard in the fifth round, which was the biggest mistake of my life. Um, but yeah, I, I had a week one win. I had the first overall pick and I'm, I've not been demolished yet, which is pretty good. Well, you've had a, a better start than me. I, I've, I've got three NFL fantasy teams and in every single one I played someone who had drafted Christian McCaffrey and I just oh, got no. annihilated in every single league <laughs> I'm in. I felt bad. I had Hollywood Brown on the bench and I was so gutted. Yeah, there's a few players who went off. You know, Sammy Watkins went off with a load of points and I know he was on a lot of people's benches. But just in terms of the British Eagles fantasy football, um, if you're in those leagues, keep your eyes out for, for updates. Obviously, we've got those three amazing prizes up for grabs. The Alshon Jeffrey signed boots, the Zachert signed jersey and the Carson Wentz signed ball. So make sure you, uh, you take those leagues seriously. Keep your eyes on the, the waiver wire. Try and... Be Howie Roseman, come up with some trades to, to get you to the top of those leagues and uh, to be in a chance of winning the prizes when it comes round to, to playoff time. Liam, this just leaves me to say goodbye and thank you very much. Oh, no worries. The pleasure's all mine. It's been an honour to be back and, and just keep doing what you're doing. And just remind um, everyone, how can they follow you on, on social media? So my Twitter is at Liam Jenkins PSN. Um, Philly Sports Network is at Philadelphia SN or at Philly Sports Network on Instagram. And then you've got the Philly Sports Network YouTube channel, which is just Philly Sports Network. Excellent. For anyone who hasn't checked out Philly Sports Network... Ne- uh, I can't even get my words out. For anyone who <laughs> hasn't checked out Philly Sports Network, um, make sure you do. Liam's breakdown on, on film is incredible. Um, the amount of detail he goes into is is absolutely phenomenal. And more sort of akin with the journalists that you might find who have grown up following the sport over in the States. So hats off to you, Liam, for, for everything that you've uh, been doing. Oh, that's extremely kind of you, man. Thank you for, for all the support and kind words. So that's it for this week's edition of the British Eagles Time of Possession podcast. Make sure you check out our social media platforms to keep an eye out for that Philly Sports Network competition to win yourself a hoodie or a T-shirt. We'll be back, we'll be back in week two. So until next time, fly, Eagles, fly. Fly. <laughs>